0: today on Ag News Daily.
1: I will always cheerlead the market because higher prices make for happier customers and happy customers make my job easier. Um, So I will always cheerlead this
0: thing. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Happy Hashtag Market Monday here on another Ag News Daily podcast. Delaney Howell joined by Mike Pearson and a silent Ashton Carr who is still taking it all in. Ashton, we're excited to put you in the limelight later this week. Push you on the spot a little bit. I'm excited too. I've got to get my research up and see if I can follow along with you guys.
2: Absolutely. There is always something happening in the world of agriculture, which makes reporting the news, you know, fairly easy, all things considered, because so much ties into ag. Delaney, what headlines are you watching today?
0: Yeah, absolutely. One of the big headlines I continue to watch is what's going on in Washington, D.C. as Congress continues to vote on different relief packages we saw on friday evening that the cares act sorry the heroes act which is kind of like the second version or the fourth version i should say of the of the cares act the house has passed this three trillion dollar heroes act as of friday night It authorizes about $16.5 billion in additional CFAP or Coronavirus Food Assistance Program payments. And so, again, that money, remember, if you uh, have listened to the podcast recently, that $16.5 billion is essentially going to purchase foods that will then go to local food banks or areas that people are in need of food. It's another way for the government to kind of use up some of the glut we have in some of our food products. And so we now are waiting for the Senate to take over that vote and see if they will or will not pass it, if they'll add any amendments of their own. Uh, I think it's likely that they're going to have an amendment or two to that current bill, but we will continue to watch that and see how things shake out.
2: Absolutely. We'll have to keep an eye on that for sure, Delaney. We've got an update here from the Kansas City Fed. They overlooked the 10th Fed district, and uh, in mid-March they distributed a survey to get a feel for agricultural credit uh, conditions throughout the extent of their territory. And those survey results are back in, and uh, looking at the first excuse me, the first quarter of 2020, um, you know this shouldn't be terribly shocking, but I think it's nice to have the statistics that back it up, and I think it will help feed into the conversations being had about what you just discussed in getting federal assistance to growers. Uh, the 10th District reported that the decline in farm income and in loan repayment rates was larger than anticipated and much larger than in recent quarters. This was a survey of bankers and uh, of lenders. So they ex- uh, indicated that they expect things to be much more pessimistic going forward. They do expect further disruptions at meatpacking and food processing plants. And they continue to expect an ongoing substantial slowdown in ethanol production. And all of those factors are going to combine to create heavy pressure on cattle and corn prices. So that's the update there from the 10th district. I'm sure the the Chicago Fed and the St. Louis Fed are handing out the similar surveys. We'll get their uh, their information here in coming weeks I, I got to imagine they're going to show a similar situation across much of the rest of the country
0: yeah, absolutely, and uh, continuing on with the uh, survey side of things, I thought this was interesting. An article posted on Bloomberg just yesterday morning, looking at how Americans feel about Chinese purchases and/ or Chinese goods. Bloomberg posted a survey and Talk a little bit more about the survey that was conducted by FTI Consulting, which is a Washington-based advisory firm. It said that according to this consulting firm's survey, about 40% of Americans say they won't buy products from China and Further, If you go on to that, about 22% of folks say they won't buy from India, 17% refuse to buy goods from Mexico, and 12% are boycotting goods from Europe. This continues on as we watch COVID-19. A lot of people in the poll said that they just don't trust China. They don't trust the whole coronavirus release. They think China is corrupt and they will not be buying Chinese purchases. Uh, You know, this article that I'll be sure to share in our weekly newsletter this week really compares it almost to the Cold War era of, you know, is that this period that we're heading into now and China will be our new Russia?
2: Yeah, I've heard a lot of that uh, new Cold War narrative coming about. And it's interesting. Some of the data that we have would seem to indicate that folks are indeed buying less in goods from China looking at the first quarter of this year january february and march looking at import data of goods from china into the us you know we have seen just about a 14 trillion dollar decrease in purchases of goods from china from january through march now that is a huge number that is a huge drop but it also corresponds with the beginning of lockdown orders when people just kind of quit buying altogether because a lot of retail stores were closed so i think the real test for whether or not these people are committed to not buying goods from china is going to come here as the economy reopens exactly how many excuse me how much do our imports from china tick back up because it's really easy to tell a surveyor that you're only going to buy made in America mm-hmm. stuff.
0: That's true. And then
2: if you're at Walmart and you see something that you want, you know, a squirt gun for your kid for $4, chances are it's going to be made uh, somewhere in Southeast Asia, in Asia probably. And, you know, are you going to pull the trigger? You know, that remains to be seen. And uh, But right now, the the data back up that uh, that conclusion.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And as we continue to watch the economy reopen, we're also seeing the equities and stocks markets start to regain strength, specifically looking at some analyst expectations today that are watching the S&P 500. It's it's up about 100 points on the day, and the Dow is up almost 1,000 points. Some analysts that I was reading this morning are speculating that it's because We are seeing some very encouraging early results for getting a widespread coronavirus vaccine drug from the drug maker Moderna. We also saw crude up pretty substantially on the day compared to where it has been. Um, I don't remember if it was this specific drug or another one, but essentially, I think it is Moderna, this drug that they're talking about. It doesn't really cure COVID-19. It shortens the span or the length of time that you would have symptoms or ailments caused by COVID-19. So it's not really a vaccine that's gonna be a cure-all, I don't think. Well,
2: if I, uh, there's two drugs out there right now and I don't have either of them handy. I believe Moderna is is a true vaccine. It stimulates the production of antibodies that would protect against similar to if you you caught the virus. That's how vaccines work. There's another drug from a company based in San Diego that reduces the time spent on this from its 14 day period to like a four day period. And both of them are in early trial phases. But yeah, the fact that both of those are appearing to make you know, positive inroads against this virus are certainly helping the stock market. And I think this corresponds well with people's willingness to get out of the house and go and do things last mm-hmm. night. Went out to dinner, and earlier today, I got a haircut. So, I mean, I'm wow. kind of living my best life here. Um, it's it's incredibly liberating, and, you know, if you do go out, be sure to tip your waiters and waitresses and and hairdressers and barbers. Tip them well, because they haven't been working for eight weeks, just like a lot of other folks. Um, yeah. And – oh, go ahead, Nellie.
0: Well, I was just going to say, I, I also went out this weekend, and – I probably will take some flack for this. That's fine. I'll admit it. I'll own it. But I do not wear a mask. I have not been wearing a mask when I've been going out in public. But I went this weekend to the salon as well and got my nails done. And I was required to wear a mask. And like I said, this is literally the first time I worn a mask out in public. I just, I'm not worried about getting sick, I guess. that's. I know that's the wrong way to look at it, but I'm young. I have a strong immune system. So... The other thing is that you probably likely will be required to wear masks now when you're going out in public. I don't know if you were required to wear one at your salon yeah, or wherever you went. I, yeah. sure
2: was. Yeah, yeah. Um, I sure was. And, you know, that's the business's prerogative. If I don't Absolutely. want to wear a mask, I don't go get my hair cut there. Right. Exactly. I, I just need my hair cut, so I was happy to wear a mask. And, <laughs> oh, my gosh. Now I'm just waiting for warm temperatures to return mm-hmm. so I can enjoy this shorn look that I am sporting. (laughs) Um, We've also got an update, though. I wanted to mention, while people are going out more, as states continue to loosen, gasoline demand continues to tick up. Uh, Green Plains, one of the country's largest ethanol producers, says that uh, basically they are preparing for this post-pandemic life. They are expecting help to move into the ethanol industry. They said, uh, this is coming from Todd Becker, who is the CEO of Green Plains, which is based in Omaha, said, quote, we believe the future could look a little different as companies and individuals look for ways to avoid mass transit and air travel and therefore drive more, which could be a potential tailwind for the ethanol industry. Biofuels will continue to be important and strategic part of this fuel supply. So it's one of those things, a trend we talked about developing last week, Uh, ethanol plants are firming up their basis. We've got more plants coming online and green planes looking a little bit more optimistic. And I think those comments that people are going to drive rather than fly or take trains or buses probably carry quite a bit of water.
0: Yeah, I think you are probably right there, Mike.
2: Um, Let's see. I just have one other piece of news, and this again corresponds to a developing story that we've been watching over the past two weeks, and that is large purchases of grain and oil seeds and pork from China. And, you know, we've been debating back and forth. Is this an indication that China is perhaps willing to make good on their $40 billion purchase to uh, commit to phase one? Or is this just something else that's going on? They're just taking advantage of low prices. Well, it seems like it's a mix between the two. Uh, China, according to several food processors, the government has asked these processors to boost inventories of grains and oil seeds because not necessarily to fulfill their phase one agreements, but because they are concerned that a second wave of coronavirus could start sweeping that country and shutdowns could come back into effect. So basically their warning is, hey, you can buy stuff right now, get out there, stockpile, get some supplies standing close at hand. So if or when this coronavirus makes its second wave, we've got supplies on hand to continue to provide food security. I think that makes a lot of sense. That is certainly in keeping with China's psychology as it relates to grain storage. They've always preferred to have a cushion of uh, commodities around their country. In fact, you know that's been one of the causes of concern, just how much corn does China have and how much of it is still in condition. But it certainly seems like now would be a time that they can fill up on Good quality corn or beans or pork, put some more into frozen storage, which they've depleted pretty well over the past year and a half. And uh, I think America's going to benefit quite a bit from it.
0: Absolutely. Well, Mike, I have just one other piece of news as well, turning our attention to the renewable fuels industry, the agency the EPA excuse me sent the White House its regulations governing next year's blending requirements under the renewable fuel standards. I think this seems a little preempt, and other folks do too, since you know we're seeing them kind of hold off what the mandate is supposed to be implementing for twenty twenty, but they said they're moving full steam ahead, trying to figure out what they're going to include for blending requirements and um other requirements for 2021. So we will continue to watch that story. I think their deadline for that isn't until towards the end of 2020 for 2021. Um, But it sounds like they're trying to get things done early here, right? Wrong or otherwise.
2: Yeah, it's bizarre. The federal government is the only place that can release requirements for 2020 at the end of 2020 or possibly (laughs) in 2021. I mean, no other business or industry can get away with something like that. But there you go. Well, Delaney, if that is the only news you've got, let's delve deep into the markets. What do you say? We've got our good friend Angie Setzer joining us on the program today.
0: Let's do it.
2: All right, folks in our markets are brought to us by our friends at agmarket.net. When it comes to managing risk in volatile environments, give our friends at agmarket.net a call or visit their website. It's right there in the name, agmarket.net. In the markets today, we've got corn and beans higher. Wheat continuing to sell off in the corn market. July, old crop, bleh, old crop up one and a half at 320 and three quarters. December, new crop up three quarters of a cent to close at 332 and three quarters. In soybean, July was at six and a half on the day, finished at 845, right there at some technical levels. We'll get Angie's thoughts on that. November, new crop up seven and a quarter, closed at 852 and three quarters. Chicago wheat, as I mentioned, saw some weakness today. July contract down three and a quarter at 497 even. December, down three cents even to finish the day at 509 and three quarters had a little bit of back and forth trading in livestock live cattle finished stronger hogs mixed in the cattle contract the august was up a dollar oh two and a half at 98.85 even the october up 70 cents to close at 101.05 and in feeders that august contract up a dollar 47.50 at 132.55 september up a dollar to close at 133.75 And as I mentioned, mixed trade in honks. The July contract was down 10 cents at 57.65. The August, however, up 40 to finish at 56.80. Looking over at the dairy market, stupendous rally over the past 10 trading days, uh, does look like it's maybe trying to catch its breath today. The May was up on the day. Class three milk closed higher by two cents at 12.26. The June down 15 cents to finish at 16.70. Without further ado, let's kick it over to Angie Setzer on Twitter at the goddess of grain.
0: Well, as promised for today's Hashtag Market Monday interview, we are joined by Angie Setzer, Vice President of Citizens Grain. Angie, how you doing today?
1: I am doing well. We're sopping wet, but mm-hmm. I can't do anything about it, so I'm not complaining.
0: <laughs> yeah, we're pretty wet here, too, and, um, you know, looking at planting, I've got to ask how things are looking up there in your area in Michigan.
1: I am very grateful for what's gotten done, right? So, like compared to last year, um, we are—it's—we've had phenomenal progress. Um, you know, last year was just—you know, right here in our neck of the woods. You know, forty percent of all of the crops got planted right in our territory, in our in our elevator back background, and you know, and on the the way into work, I, I saw more fields that that weren't planted than planted a year ago. This year, it's, it's not the case. Uh, you know, a lot of my customers were able to wrap up. Some have tried, uh, you know, some made the decision to kind of hold off on corn when it got really cold because we got down to 24 degrees a couple Fridays ago, Friday nights ago. And, and so that was about, unfortunately, the opportunity it seemed like we had to, to really get the, the crop in the ground. So those that are planted are still happy right now they're not happy like believe me like the last thing they want to see is water everywhere and and uh you know getting five inches of rain in a couple days but I had had more than one guy tell me today that they're glad that it happened now and not three weeks from now after getting everything planted last week because most everything isn't emerged yet um so underground it's still got the snorkels attached so hopefully um we're able to warm up and dry out like they are forecasting here for the end of the week but not too dry because we can't crust over you know we still gotta be able to emerge um so hopefully we're able to to warm up and dry out and uh you know get back in to to allow folks to to finish up with what corn they have left and and wrap up on those beans
2: and I, I know you're up there in, uh, in North, North central Michigan, Angie, is it still too early for folks to really consider swapping some corn acres for bean acres? If, if they get the chance here in the next 10 days, they're going to go, you know, balls to the wall on corn, right?
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, we are probably three weeks, I think, um, you know, late planted dates, what June 6th, I should know this after last year. Right. Um, where you know but i think most folks this year are going to be like well i'm not going to push i'm not going to push it too awful much um you know but i would say i would say for us a great majority of the corn um around here from from the growers that i've talked to has been planted so but they still you know and then they have plenty of time to put beans in you know (laughs) I, i think we've got another four weeks of really uh, being able to get beans, beans planted. So no one at this point is really even um, say there, you know, there's not even it's not even on most of the folks' radar that I talked to, of you know, throwing in the towel or making any sort of change at, at this point.
0: Got it. Angie, since you brought up soybeans, I want to talk about soybeans here, both the July old crop and new crop contracts. Looking at both the charts, they've had some, they've tested some lows over the past month, we'll say really here. Do you think it's safe to say that soybeans have put in a low and maybe are headed to the upside, or what's your perspective?
1: I sure as I hope so, because I've been bullish beans for multiple months, (laughs) apparently, um, wrongly. Uh, You know, I, I, I do think, I mean, obviously over the last few months, we've really been dealing with a lot of stuff that we really wouldn't want to to wish on beans you know obviously brazil had a a decent crop this last little girl around although you are seeing some estimates kind of get trimmed on on what exactly that looks like but they've also had their currency i mean we have went to what, almost six to one on the the real side and and so you know i remember the first time we went to three to one and everyone was like oh my gosh this is life changing and now here we are at six and so you know, that's, that's been a, a rough, um, it hasn't helped, you know, and especially seeing uh, the Brazilian farmer really heavily sell um, the soybeans that they've produced this past year and the soybeans that they're planning on producing next year. And then obviously their, their huge uh, export program with China. But, you know, I would say just completely from a fly-on-the-wall standpoint, like I'm not going to sit here and even remotely pretend that I'm an expert when it comes to Brazilian agriculture. But I feel like their their agribusiness um, to a certain extent is is still a little um, you know lacking in in maturities to a certain extent, just basically meaning like here in the u s, we are great at uh, making sure we don't run out, right? Like you saw that last year. like we basis reacts, uh, rallies big time to to do everything it can to kind of slow down on demand anytime we get a hint of of running short on supply. Whereas we've seen the last couple of years with Brazil, they export until they they have empty cupboards, and then they look around, they're like, "Crud! Now we got to call Argentina and try to get some some stuff in to cover our domestic demand." And so I, I really do feel that um, we've seen Brazil export extremely heavily. I think this is probably um, going to be something that that wraps up uh, relatively soon, just simply because they've they've shipped everything that they you know are comfortably able to here before much longer at the pace they're going. Um, and I think that you're going to see some U.S. experts, you know, really kind of pick up, um, especially third and fourth quarter, which is the opposite of what we're used to. Um, and I think it's going to catch some people off guard, uh, you know, and, and really kind of help to kind of push beans higher. You know, at the same time, you know, the USDA making that adjustment lower in demand there last, last week um, seemed, you know, kind of quick. Uh, it was kind of funny to see the the adjustments higher in, in corn demand, but lower in in bean demand, you know, in the month of May. Um, but I think it it also helped to kind of um, give the indication that soybean S and D is is still comfortable, you know, at, at this point in time when when reality is, you know, it could get a little hairy depending on whether or not we're, you know, 46 or 49 bushel to the acre. So um i'm still optimistic on bean pricing opportunities um and so you know any chance that we can get you know really above 9 we'll probably start looking at it very closely um and and see i mean i'm not saying that we're we're going to the moon or anything but um i'm i'm far more optimistic on soybean outlook right now than i am um on corn unfortunately
2: well let's dig into that i mean i think you you know you hit the nail on the head with one of the uh, i think underlying questions of what remains of this growing season and did to 2021's uh you know carry out which is usda increased the demand we are seeing ethanol plants start to come back online angie mm-hmm. but we do have a mountain of grain out there when you look ahead for corn i mean looking at new crop in particular you know these has been in this 10 cent range for two, 14 trading days almost 15 trading days right. if we're going to break out a do you think we're going to and b into which direction does your crystal ball show a breakout happening
1: no one wants to ask me that question because i'm typically you know i i i remember when i was accused multiple times of being a permeable on on twitter you know or a cheerleader um, to the market which i am always let's get it straight i am i will always cheerlead the market because higher prices make for happier customers and happy customers make my job easier um, so I will always cheerlead this thing <laughs> higher within reason, but, um, I, I really do worry that corn without, you know, you've got to remember that, that demand and I'm sure it's been talked to, you know, over talked about over and over and over again, but that demand increase that they put penciled in for new crop. I mean, I I really think it was there. Um, you know, I, I think that they feel that the production number is likely to come down, um, you know, whether it's via acres, which I'm not hearing much in the way of an indication that we've seen substantial farmer switch in, in acreage. I mean, some of these areas that have remained wet probably will, but, you know, Iowa and places where they were, were able to kind of slam the crop in, I don't think anyone had time to really think about what the price was doing. I think they just wanted to get it done. Um, and I'm not I'm not seeing this sort of substantial switch in acres, but I think it allowed for a little bit of that. I mean, basically we could lose a billion bushel of production And the reality is demand is probably a billion 500 million to a billion too high and that would still keep us around a three billion bushel carry out in my opinion um so everyone's kind of saying right now that we need to see this sort of risk premium brought in for corn and i can understand that when you're seeing some large production areas getting five inches of rain in a week you know in central illinois and places like that where there is some concern about what that could look like as as we move ahead um but i think the risk premium is probably there without some sort of situation that makes us, you know, realize that we're losing um, 2 billion bushel of supply, you know, and even a a 2 billion bushel loss of supply, unless we see something happen that surprises me on the demand side. I mean, at this point in time, exports, I'll give you exports could probably be quite a bit higher um, than current estimates even, you know, um, I, I agree with the increase in exports. Not really sure, you know, what kind of increase you see in feed demand and ethanol. I think it's just a race to try to produce themselves out of profitability all over again. You know, it's you. We saw profitability come back into ethanol because we had cut supply. You know, yeah, we've seen a bump in gasoline demand, but we basically took supply down what 40 percent. You know, so we significantly cut supply, um, only to to turn around and as soon as the the profitability returns, we're going to ramp up production again you know, in the face of, of, you know, yeah, some return in gasoline demand, but not a lot. So, you know, unfortunately I I wish I could sit here and say, Oh, this is just a lull. Just be patient. You know, the market will turn around and come much higher, but without some sort of major uh, production issue showing up, which is, you know, there's still talk of a Ridge forming in the Western corn belt. There's still talk of too wet conditions, you know, your Ridge riders and stuff like that taking place. So I'm not going to say that it is impossible, but um you know you have to really be aware you know my biggest push from a farmer standpoint is is really familiar familiarize yourself with what the global and the domestic supply and demand situation look like and have a realistic conversation you know mentally about what that can mean um from a pricing standpoint as we move ahead
0: and i want to switch things over here and talk the cattle complex they have had quite a bit of wind in their sails chugging upwards slowly but steadily how much higher can live cattle and feeder cattle push ahead here?
1: I think you're going to see some continuation of strength in that market. You know, I, I think that, um, obviously one of the things that we've we've recognized as long as we don't push box beef too high or retail costs too high is that some of that demand is, is, uh, a little inelastic. You know what I mean? Like if people are going to be eating from home more then they're going to be wanting to, to eat beef. I mean, that's, just the way it is and people are learning how to cook and things of that nature so you know i think you're going to see some continued strength you can go ahead and throw some conspiracies behind it too and part of the reason it seems like every time we really get uh you know a big conversation about uh investigating what the heck is going on you know suddenly the market moves higher and everyone kind of forgets that that was one of the things they wanted to do so um you know like i said i'll go tighten my tin foil hat now um but (laughs) Uh, you know I think there's going to be some some continued strength there um you know in the in the market structure itself. I just i mean it's 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 cattle to a certain extent like like i said the the packer margins are good. they're going to be wanting to to get their hands on on beef and and so as long as we can continue to process, I think you continue to see at least reasonable uh support.
2: And Angie, before we let you go, I want to circle back to the grains, because one of the things that I've been keeping an eye on, and I'm just not terribly plugged into the wheat market, you know, we've seen corn bounce back, it's bounced off its lows there, that 330 level in the December, we've got beans moving higher on the day, and yet the wheat market continues to just slog lower. What's your gut read here on this wheat? Are we going to go back and retest those mid-March lows?
1: Yeah. I mean, wheat loves to lull you into a false sense of security, right? And I mean, it spent much of the month, much of the year. I mean, we, we've had multiple opportunities, 550 plus, and I've always told my customers when it comes to Chicago wheat, um, you know, anytime you get above 550, you really should be an aggressive seller, you know, both, both coming crop and looking at the next crop. Um, you know there is a lot of conversation that oh maybe we're not as bad as what we thought we were we saw some rain um, fall in, in portions of the Black Sea region you know um, we seen some really good wheat start coming in to the south uh, Shep Bickley posted a picture the other day 63 and 63 and a half pound test weight wheat he's like this is gonna br- burst my bins you know and and so you know, rain does to a certain extent make grain. I haven't heard any um, conversation on what the toxin, you know, if there's some bomb issues or anything like that. But, you know, I think people are getting a little bit worried about the idea that, you know, we're not exporting uh, Chicago wheat like they thought we would or something. And, and the reality is SRW is not made for export. It's basically made to just kind of hang on to until you decide you want to use it. Um, you know we're we're not going to snap our fingers and magically have increased acreage though yield does look like it's going to be a heck of a lot better than what it was a year ago um so we have that going for us you know like i said as long as you can avoid the quality issues we should be good to go ontario has a monster crop coming on um so i think that might be part of it they've been able to kind of increase acres and when everyone else has stayed really wet here we've actually seen them be dry when they need to be um and so i think you know that weighs a little bit on Um, what your traders are seeing when it comes to the Toledo cash market and in Chicago a lot of times the Toledo cash market kind of bleeds the Chicago futures market by its nose and so we went really from an uncomfortable sort of feeling when all of the Canadian wheat was working its way into feed and being exported and all of these other things and you weren't seeing Canadian wheat come in um, to to the the Michigan and uh, Toledo markets like you typically would I think that kind of pushed the market a bit higher it collapsed the spreads um, you know, or, or made them extremely strong. I say collapse the spreads because mama likes it when there's a lot of carry in the market, but uh, spreads were almost non-existent. You know, it was really kind of trying to, to force you to bring the, the wheat to the table as soon as possible. And so I think, you know, we'll, we'll be range bound. Wheat always overdoes it to the downside and it always overdoes it to the upside. So it wouldn't surprise me to retest the mid-March lows and maybe even um, push a touch below them. You know, and and honestly, it's a distant memory to me. You could tell me it was mid-March, but, you know, when were we 430 something? I mean, that wasn't very long (laughs) before we went from 430 to 575, you know, and so wheat's going to have some pretty extensive volatility to it. Um, And then long-term pricing opportunities are probably going to rely, you know, pretty strongly upon what this fall looks like. So typically, you, you, you get a bit of a down pressure you know, a few weeks as, as harvest gets started in the south and then we start to turn around again and get a little bit of opportunity, generally for us, like two weeks before harvest. So the last part of June um, and then it falls apart again and we get a little bit of a bump, you know, to try to encourage planting there in October. And, and so wheat has seasonals too and um, right now it's just the, the darling of being sold.
0: Absolutely. Well, Angie, before we let you go, remind our listeners how they can get in contact with you, chat with you on Twitter, since you are a pretty active Twitterer. <laughs> I, I'm partially active on Twitter. <laughs> you can find me there at Goddess of
1: Grain, um, or you can email me at Setzer at citizenselevator.com.
0: Fantastic. Well, Angie Setzer, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Have a good one. Again, you can find and interact with Angie at Goddess of Grain on Twitter. She's a pretty active Twitterer. Is that a real word, Mike? I don't know, actually. But uh, she's very active on Twitter, so do be sure to follow her. But you can also follow us on social media, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Just find us at Agnewsdaily. Daily. With that, Mike, should we let the people go?
2: Let's let them go.